Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Two words. Jesus wept. We need to keep in mind that those who wrote our Holy Scriptures did not sit down and say, chapter 1, verse 35. They were writing letters. They were writing sermons. They were writing to their friends. They were writing to congregations. They were writing down history. They were writing down law. They were not concerned with, oh, this psalm would be so much easier to sing if I put a verse number right here so the choir director could tell them where to go. And they weren't thinking, oh, this feels like a new chapter in my book. I'll number this chapter three. They didn't do that. The writers of Scripture were not concerned that we be able to have a chapter and verse to find. The chapters in Scripture were added first. And they were added by an archbishop of Canterbury named Stephen Langton, somewhere around 1227. And the first chapter divisions appeared in the Wycliffe or the Wycliffe Bible in 1382. And that's how it started out was with chapters. The verses were not added by a priest or a bishop or even a rabbi or a scribe. The verses were added by the printer. Not the kind you have sitting next to your computer, but the old term for printer, the guy that actually put pages into the printing press and closed it down, the guy who was making copies of the pages of the Bible, he's the one who added the verses. Now that's why sometimes it feels a little strange to us that a new verse number pops up in the middle of a sentence sometimes, because he really wasn't concerned about us reading it, it was for his own benefit where to put those verses. But then it got me to thinking, why did this printer make a two-word verse? Let's call him Paco. Paco the printer. Paco the printer decided Jesus wept. And then I'm going to start a new verse. Jesus wept. Complete sentence. That's it. That's enough. Maybe Paco likes this verse. Maybe it says something to him. Maybe that's all that needs to be said there. Maybe this verse resonated with Paco. And he said, ooh, I, I get it. I get it. That means something to me. And he lets it stand alone. Jesus wept. That's enough. That's all Paco needed. Every human being grieves. Every human being grieves differently. I grieve differently than Linda or Jean, or Dave or Dave, or the other Dave or the other Dave. I grieve differently than Bryn and Dalen. I grieve differently than each of you. And each human being grieves slightly differently depending upon the grief. We grieve the death of a loved one differently than we grieve the loss of a job. I grieve the loss of my mother differently than I've grieved any other grief in my life. There is a lot of grief in this congregation that's been going on for well over a year. There's a lot of pain here. There's a lot of different types of grief going on. In a year, we've seen divorces. 
We've seen people lose jobs, people move. We've seen broken relationships, death of loved ones, death of pets, death of, of an injured child, grieving the loss of, of how his life will never be what the dreams were for him. We're grieving aging. This body isn't what it was a year ago. We're grieving diagnoses. We're grieving the lack of diagnoses for things that are going in our lives. There's a lot of pain here. What do we do with that pain? What do we do with that pain? I am not an expert on grief. I'm not professionally trained in grief. I'm not a grief counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. But because of the own grief in my own life this year, I've learned some things. And so I'd like to share with you some of the things that I've learned this year. Just keep in mind that you grieve differently than I do. And I'm not an expert. I just kind of want to share with you where I am, how this past year has looked to me in those types of arenas, if you don't mind. That's where I'd like to go today. Y'all okay with that? Okay. I knew the classical phrase, five stages of grief. I had heard that before, that there were five stages of grief. What is it? Disbelief, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. I knew those, those words, but I didn't really know what they meant. I assumed it meant that I would go through each stage of grief, one right after the other, and I've since learned grief doesn't work that way. Nobody told grief there were five stages. Grief does what it's going to do. I've also learned that you can be in two stages at once. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And I've also learned that grief becomes a part of who you are. And so it has a tendency to come back around again. And come back around again. And it's, it's almost like you're on a roller coaster. For those of you who don't know, my mother passed away in January. Um, I was gone from the congregation for about four weeks helping with my family in January through that. In May, for me, things started nosediving for me. And I was definitely in a depression stage when it came to grief. There were days where I laid on the couch and all I did was watch TV all day long. There were days the dishes didn't get done. There were days I showered like 10 minutes before Steve came home. There were days like that that happened in May. The issue with, with the, 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 the depression part of grief is that it sucks energy out of you. It depletes you of energy, and so sometimes you just can't do. You can't do. Well, in about mid-June, anger showed up. I assumed that the anger stage meant that I would be angry at mom or I would be angry at God. What I didn't know is that in the midst of grief, anger just shoots out in every random direction possible, and I got angry at random people for silly stuff. I just I could, I could fly off the handle. And so then I had anger and depression happening at the same time. Depression depletes you of energy, and anger gives you energy. So on the days when I woke up with some energy, I'd get as much work done as I could because I didn't know how long this was going to last. And so I ended up with this really short fuse, and I had absolutely no patience for anybody or anything, especially anything that was stupid. I had no patience for, and I had no energy to draw on when I would get so angry. 
because I was, I was really struggling with all of this. And for me, it was, it was a terrible combination. It was an absolutely terrible combination for me. And that's, that's sort of what I went through for the better part of this summer, was being angry and having no energy at the same time. Every human being grieves differently. Being fully divine and fully human, Jesus grieved. Jesus wept. In the scripture that Linda just read, the crowd says, oh, look at how he loved him. Meaning, look how much Jesus loved Lazarus. And that's the only comment in scripture that we have of why Jesus grieved in that moment. The narrator doesn't offer an alternative view. All we have is the crowd saying, look at how he loved him. Scholars debate whether or not that's why Jesus grieved or not, and I'll tell you why. Remember that Greek is way more nuanced than English. One word can have so many different definitions and so many more words we translate into English into one. In the Greek words used here for Jesus wept, it's not meant to be a sentimental feeling. Instead, it's a grief, a weeping, that comes out of agitation or indignation for something that was unjust, unworthy, or mean. In other words, the scholars say that Jesus was weeping out of anger for an unjust thing that had happened. Other scholars will tell you that he was grieving because of the state of unbelief around him, that he was grieving for the women, that he was grieving for the crowd, that he was grieving for all of Israel and a lack of belief in who Jesus was. Other scholars will tell you that Jesus grieved simply because everybody else around him was crying. And how many of us have been in a situation where I don't know why these people are crying, but with everybody crying, I'm going to cry right along with them. For me, I don't care why Jesus cried. I don't care. It means more to me that Jesus did cry. It's important to me that Jesus knew a pain and a hurt so deep that tears came forth. The why is not important to me. The fact that Jesus cried is what's important to me. God asks us to accept as a Lord and Savior someone who felt a tear roll down his own cheek. God calls us to accept as Lord and Savior someone who knows the salty taste of his own tears. Jesus grieved. Jesus wept. That means something to me. I have what I call a theology of grief. And by that I mean that I have an understanding of God that is informed by grief, but I also have an, an understanding of grief that is informed by God. And the first part of that theology is that grief is a gift. Now, I know that may sound a little bit strange, but hang on to me and let me get to what, why I'm calling grief a gift. Grief is the price we pay for having loved someone. Grief is the cost that we pay for being passionate about something. Well, we know that God is the source of love. We love because God first loved us. We know that God gives us the gift of love. Therefore, God also gives us the gift of grief. They're the flip side of the same coin. Because God knows the pain of losing a love, God gives us grief. The second part of this theology is that grief 
is a holy process. Hear both of those words. Grief is a process, and grief is holy. That which is holy is that which is set apart by God. That which is set, set apart by God has the presence of God. That's why we have a holy sanctuary. That's why we have a holy scripture. That's why we have the sacredness in music. It's because in that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So for me to say that grief is a holy process is saying that grief is a process that we go through in order to heal, and it is holy because God is with us in that process of grief. When we grieve, Jesus walks with us. When we grieve, God is beside us. In the Gospel of John, more than any other part in Scripture, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. When we read of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we read of God. When we see Jesus in the Gospel of John, we see God. Jesus grieved. Therefore, God knows what a tear rolling down the cheek feels like. Therefore, God knows what we need in order to heal from a loss of a loved one or something that we're passionate about, and God gives us this process in order to heal. Grief is a gift that God gives us. God gives it to us in the form of a holy process so that God will walk with us through the grief. When I went to first see my counselor in January, I went as soon as, as soon as I came back to Dallas within days, I was at my counselor before I ever came back here to work at the church because I wanted to talk about mom's death and I wanted to talk about what was coming up next for me. And he and I had a conversation about the holy walk of grief and how to make that process holy, how to see the holiness in the process of grief. And I learned a couple of things. First. I couldn't force the grief to happen faster. I wanted it to happen faster. I wanted to get it over with. I wanted to have a really good cry, but I couldn't do that. It wasn't going to be healthy to do that. Instead, he told me this. He said, take care of yourself and let the grief happen. The grief will happen, but my focus needed to be on taking care of me so that the grief could come in a healthy way. Now, I don't know what self-care looks like for you. I don't know what you do to take care of your own self, but I know what works for me. Lunch with friends, pedicures, exercise, eating right, and sleeping well. I knew those were things I needed to focus on, but I learned a few more things in this process of things that helped me to take care of myself. One of them, and it's amazing how this works, once I figured out the stages of grief that I was in and I could name it for what it was, it wasn't as strong over me as it had been before. It's not that they lessened so much, it's that I had a little bit more say in what was happening, I had a little bit more control in what was happening. So for self-care for me is to say, hey, I'm grieving, and by the way, I'm angry because of that grief. Or I'm depressed because of that grief. For me to name it was a part of my self-care. If I had forced the grieving to happen sooner than it needed to, or if I had ignored it and said, I'm not grieving, I'm not going through this, either one would have been more detrimental to the grief process. Am I making sense when I say that? That I can't force it. It has to happen. 
that tells me that grief is very, very human. And in my understanding, and this is just Katie's understanding, so take it for what it's worth, the healthiest way to grieve is to let God into the process. Recognize that it's a gift from God, and that's the healthiest way to work through that grief. Grief is a gift. Grief is a gift from God. It is a process from God. It is a holy process designed to have Jesus walk with us. For me to say, hey, Jesus, can you cry with me right now? Hey, God, can you wipe this tear away from me right now? Or even, hey, Jesus, where are you? I'm in a mess here. Where are you? Raise your hand so I can see you. I think that's my theology of grief. There's one more piece I want to share with you. I went back to see my counselor in July because, quite frankly, I had bottomed out and I was dealing with an awful lot of guilt because I was not doing my job well. I was not doing my job well here at the church. I was not doing it well with the Chamber of Commerce. I was not doing it well at home with the dishes or the cleaning, and I really wasn't taking care of myself the way my doctor had told me to, and I was really, really struggling. So when I went to my counselor, you know how... If you've ever been to a counselor, they like to flip it on you. And he flipped it on me, and he said, if a member of your congregation came to you and told you they were having these emotions or feelings, what would you say to them? And I said, I don't even think I hesitated. I said, they need to extend themselves some grace. They need to accept the grace that's there and extend to themselves some grace and some forgiveness. And so, of course, my counselor said, well, that's what you need to do for yourself is extend myself some grace and forgiveness. And he said, it's not that you aren't doing your job well. It's not that you're not doing your job to the best of your ability. It's that you're not doing your job to the best. You are doing your job to the best of your ability in this downtime. I was doing my job the best I could in that downtime. Now, I knew my sermons all summer were not what I expect out of, out of myself. And I knew the Bible study lessons I was doing over the summer were not the best that I expect out of myself. I wasn't given as much attention to the chamber as I should have been doing. I wasn't given as much attention to Steve as I should have been doing. You hear all these should-haves in there? And what my counselor said was, I need to extend myself some grace. I was doing the best that I could in that downtime. I think I'm past that downtime now. In fact, there was a time in August, and I, th I think it must have been a Saturday, that I, for some odd reason, I had the gumption to start cleaning the kitchen. Hadn't done that in a while. And I start cleaning the kitchen, and it was like I was waving at myself and saying, oh, hello, there you are. I recognize you. And in the past couple of weeks, some things that have happened, Debbie witnessed one of them, where I had every right to be angry at what was going on, but I didn't overreact. I took care of it the way that Katie Shockley would. And that scammer deserved to be yelled at, and it was not out of proportion. It was legitimate, and I could yell at him, and it's okay. I'm recognizing myself again. I feel like I'm back. Maybe not at 100%, but pretty close. I'm feeling that way. Now, I recognize that this grief isn't over, and I recognize that it's going to come back around again. I'm just telling you now, my mother's birthday is in December, and my first Christmas is going to be in December. Now, what happens between now and then, I don't know. But I know I'm not done. But I'm just, oh, I'm hoping I'm through the worst of the bottom of it. This summer was not good for me. But I now feel like 
Oh, there you are. I see myself again. Jesus wept. I weep. You weep. Every human being grieves. We grieve differently from the way someone else would grieve. And we grieve differently depending on the type of grief that we are going through. But I believe that grief is a gift from God. Because God taught us how to love, God's got to teach us how to heal when we lose that love. And I think grief is a process, and I think it's a holy process designed by God for the healthiest way for us to move through that pain. And the healthiest way to do it is say, hey God, walk with me. Jesus, come beside me. Jesus, cry with me, would you please? Oh God, there you are, there you are. Thank you for being here with me. Your God loves you. Let God love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.